Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 266 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by the former heavyweight world title challenger, one of my Dear good friends, it is of course Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. How are you? Very good, very good when speaking with you. Um, Diving straight into the review part because there's a long interview, a long in-depth interview right at the back of the show. The way I'm going to do things this week is I'm going to do the the review part, then the news, then the preview part, then we're going to sign the show out with uh, this this in-depth interview with um, former light welterweight world champion Mr. Sean Bay Mitchell it's a big interview a guy of course that had a really good career boxed so many uh, top fighters along the way so it's a it's a great listen um but yeah like I say before we get into that that's at the very end we're going to dive into the review part here there's going to be the Eddie uh, Eddie Chambers trivia question at some point as well but no re- uh, not no review and preview no lockdown knockdown this week it will be perhaps next week anyway with no further ado, let's start here at the BT Sports Studio last Friday, Friday the 13th, um, in Stratford, London, United Kingdom. Starting with the the, the main event I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with here. Um, Mark Heffron, 25-1 and with a draw, going in against Denzel Bentley, 13-0 and with a draw. Like I say, both guys shared a draw last time out, um, and it was a unanimous draw, which you do not see at all in boxing. Such a rarity. Um, anyway, here, uh, Mark Heffron retired on his store after four rounds. Denzel Bentley, who I feel like the majority of people thought won the first fight, um, you know, started great here, managed to... Um, you know, to to cause swelling on Mark Heffron's left eye, and yeah, his eye was closing up real rapidly, uh, pretty much from the second round. So he couldn't carry on. He didn't come out for round five. Mark Heffron now twenty five and two with a draw. Hasn't had loads and loads of luck, to be honest. Heffron um, still a good fighter. I'd still like to see him with you know some of the bigger names domestically. But Denzel Bentley keeps marching on fourteen and zero with a draw. Um, he's the new British middleweight champion. So that's that's a plus for him. Um, yeah, really good fighter, man. He's got a bright future for sure. Also on the undercard, we had Kalmin Agyako, now 8-0. and A TKO for him in seven rounds against Robbie Chapman, who's now 6-6. Six and six. And Tommy Fury... Um, he returned with a with a win here, four and zero. First fight since last December. Um, he got in there with a guy who was zero and eleven. Never, uh, ne- never had, uh, had had won a fight. But anyway. The guy was down in the second round and out. TKO in the second for Tommy Fury. He actually looked really good, to be honest with you. Um, usually I watch these fights when you see an up-and-coming prospect with you know, relatively no amateur experience, to be honest. 
Um, you know, you see him in with these with these low level guys when they're starting off, and you can't really read into it too much. But to be honest, he really impressed me, Tommy Fury. The the shot selection um, was for me most impressive. You know, he was able to find some excellent shots actually, and you know, going from head to body and all the rest of it. Um, you know, with both hands, it was it was a really really mature kind of display from him and an absolutely brilliant knockout in the end i think it was um i think it was a i can't remember if it was a left or right uppercut but either way brilliant brilliant finish um a brilliant shot selection again to pick that one out it was it was really impressive from him a lot to come of course um Moving out now to Wembley Arena, this one again um, on Saturday the 14th. It was the women's triple world title fight card, um, you know, on on Sky Sports. And I think they even had it for free on YouTube and stuff like that. But anyways, topping the bill, Katie Taylor now 17-0. and 0, Unanimous decision for her over 10 two-minute rounds against the Spaniard Miriam Gutierrez. Pretty much a shutout for Katie Taylor. Um, a defense there of her WBC, WBA, IBF, and WBO world female lightweight titles. Gutierrez was down in the fourth round. Katie Taylor now has... Um, has received a Ring Magazine women's belt, so um, that's big for her. She's also been instated as the number one pound-for-pound women's fighter in in all of boxing, above Clarissa Shields, who's in second place um, with the Ring's rankings. So Katie Taylor making history there. Uh, They're talking about her potential next fights. Everyone wants to see the all-British... Well, I say all-British. God, I almost did an Eddie Hearn mistake there. Katie Taylor being Irish, not British. But, um, you know, everyone wants to see that showdown with with Chantel Cameron. Um, They're talking about other fights for her, though, like perhaps taking on... um, I don't even know what this girl's first name is, but Cyborg from from the UFC or whatever. I don't want to see any crossover fight, especially in women's boxing. But um, she's a she's a good fighter, Katie Taylor, of course, taking nothing away from her. But she was in with another girl who was levels below her, you know. So it's not it's not always entertaining watching her because of that, to be honest. But it is what it is. Um, Terry Harper, she defended her WBC and IBO Super Featherweight World titles against Katarina Fanders. A TKO for Harper in nine rounds. Um, very impressive as well, because this Fanders was very confident going in. Um, yeah, quite a quite a good, um, you know, good out in there for Harper, who I think didn't really look her best against Natasha Jonas, but she's had a quick turnaround. She was back out here against an undefeated lady, and you know she did the business. So I'm I'm pleased with that. Um, Eleven and zero now with that one draw. Uh, also on the card, Rachel Ball six and one. She was supposed to take on Ebony Bridges, but the late replacement Jorgelina Guarnini. Um, she actually failed to make the weight, so that was quite um, disappointing straight away. But anyway, it was for the interim WBC female super bantamweight title. Rachel Ball now 7-1. and one. Hotly disputed, though. A unanimous decision in the end over 10 two-minute rounds. Very wide as well on the cards. I think nine rounds to one. But um, a lot of people actually felt that Guanini should have, um, should have been the champion there. So, yeah. Um, not very impressive from Rachel Ball. Hopefully we get to see that rematch between her and Shannon Courtney, or perhaps Shannon Courtney against Ebony Bridges. Bring that on. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with that. Um, 
Also on the card, we had Jack Cullum. He was supposed to originally, I believe, be taking on Jamie Cox. Um, Jamie Cox pulled out in step to the undefeated John Doherty. Southpaw, 9-0. Heard lots of good things about him in sparring, stuff like that. He was a good amateur, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway... Um, Jack Cullum was just a little bit too good. Uh, Jack Cullum was actually down in the first round, though. He got up off the deck. His um, his experience came through in the end, and he won a very deserved 10-round unanimous decision. He's now 19-2 and with a draw. Uh, John Doherty, 9-1. and Hopefully, we get to see the rematch. Maybe Doherty needs a bit more time, but... Um yeah, it was a great, great fight, and I was really pleased with the way that Jack Cullum boxed. I mean, like I say, you cannot buy experience, and it really showed. Uh, Cash Farouk with a win as well. He's now 14-1, and won. a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against Angel Aviles, who's now 20-6. and six. That one was for the vacant WBA Continental Bantamweight title. Aviles failed to make the weight, so two fights on that card where, where the opponents failed to make the weight. Anyway, moving out now, stateside. This is a conversation that you can get involved in, Eddie, at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. Let's start with the undercard, though. Um, Bad luck again. It's it's double trouble for Joshua Greer Jr., a guy that's been on the show before. Um, You know, we spoke about it last week. Very um, charismatic guy. You know, he used to bring the pillow to the way, and he's kind of stopped doing that now, I believe. But anyway, he got in there against Edwin Rodriguez. Not the real Edwin Rodriguez. But anyway, Edwin Rodriguez here, um, 11-5 with a draw, took on Joshua Greer, 22-2 with a draw. And like I say, Joshua Greer lost last time out in the bubble, and that's why I say double trouble in the bubble for him because he he um, he he got a majority draw over eight rounds. A lot of people felt that Rodriguez deserved a win. Adelaide Bird scored it to Rodriguez, and then Max DeLuca and John McKay gave it um, 76-76 over eight rounds there. So Joshua Greer Jr. Like I say, not quite sure what's going on with him. It seems like perhaps he's found his level or perhaps he's just going for a sticky patch. One interesting thing was that he hired Shakur Stevenson to be one of his cornermen, which um which was quite cool actually, seeing the pair together, obviously both, you know, young uh top ranked prospects. But yeah, even with Shakur in his corner, he couldn't get the win. Um and now let's go to the co-main event. Joshua Franco, 17-1 and with two draws against Andrew Maloney, 21-1. and It was for the WBA Super Flyweight World title, an instant rematch there between the pair. The first fight, obviously, Andrew lost the belt to Franco. And the second fight, boy, oh boy, the controversy that surrounded this fight is unbelievable. Eddie, I know you saw the main event. Um, did you get to see so this fight? The- you saw this as well. Tell me about this from your perspective it's got to be one of the most craziest things you've ever seen unbelievable i think it was horrible man to be honest man i you know like there's two the replay is there for a reason and it should be utilized so they used it but then not to get the thing right in that regard like and and after you've used it after you've looked at it several times to keep saying that there was a headbutt and i was like damn i don't really remember seeing like a serious headbutt and, and like when they stopped it and he was saying it was from a headbutt. So I'm like, ah, maybe I guess it was, right? Then they go back to the replay and they're skimming through the replay constantly going to different parts, different parts. Not one time did his head go on that side of his head. I mean, on, side, on that side of his face to bump his eye. But then you've seen like, I don't know how many clear jabs land on the eye. 
And you could see the swelling after that one major jab, one of the first ones that they showed. And I'm sitting there like, how can you, how can you not see that? Like, I'm sitting there like, you just put these dudes both just trained. Now I get, you know, for the other guys, good. But these guys this guy lost his title, went back home, trained his ass off to get back there, got in tremendous, from phenomenal shape, came in there and was ready to fight. And you could see from the moment, from the, from the word go, he was on, he was throwing jab after jab combination. He was going to smoke this dude. It looked like he was going to smoke him, to be honest. His eyes swelled shut, boom. So he figured, oh, he's, you know, he's about to get the win. And they come back with this whole bull crap about a headbutt. And I remember when I heard the, the, the I think it was Raul Caiz, or what was his name? I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember who the, who the ref was. But Russell anyway, Moore. he, Russell Moore. There you go, my fool. Wrong guy. Raul Caiz, the older guy. But anyway, um, he, and I'm sitting there looking. I heard him say headbutt. And I'm like, damn, I don't remember the headbutt. But I was like, all right, whatever. He know more than me. He was there. I'm ah, looking at the replay, and they couldn't find it. The only time they found like a headbutt that kind of could have happened was on the other side. It was on the other side of his face. Had nothing to do with his eye that swelled shut. And they still gave it a majority, uh, uh, no, not a majority draw, I was going to say. They still called it a no contest. I said, how can you do that to somebody? Like, that's just so messed up. And then just, oh, it was, it was a headbutt. It's clearly a headbutt. Then I seen somebody on Instagram put that. And I'm like, dude, he headbutted him on the other side of his face. Even in the, th- in the thing that the guy on Instagram showed the replay proved the point that it wasn't a headbutt on that side. It's just unreal, man. This sport, this is the one of this is the one of the, I mean, I guess combat sports in general, but this sport in particular, man, it has so many times gotten the gotten the, the answer wrong. It's just so unfair to people, man. Like people get bad decisions all the time. They get things like that to happen to them, and then there's not there's no repercussions. There's you know bad judging, bad scorecards, and then nobody nobody there's not there's nothing there's nothing that can be done about it. Like, nobody says anything. Everybody just let it go and just sweep it under the rug. It's just like, man, something needs to be done. This is That's wrong. Like, that kid got to go back home, and, like, now he's going to be depressed. Now what happens if he goes out there and fights him again? He might not even have the right mindset now. You know what I'm saying? It's just unfortunate, man. This kind of stuff happens in this sport. It really is. Yeah, another black eye for boxing. I've got a lot to say on it. Um, You know, it's, it just seems to me that only in boxing will you, you know, see – the, the officials spend more time trying to get a decision right uh, than you know than the actual time elapsed in the entire fight itself because this this actually took this took twenty seven minutes to end up getting wrong anyway. Um, just just going through again what you said you know he's he's gone back to Australia started preparing again and then he's back in Las Vegas it's a long old way and you know it wasn't long ago that they had that fight I actually when it first got announced that they were going to be having an uh, an immediate rematch I was kind of against it you know I was thinking ah man because the way the first fight went Maloney started off really good just like he did here and then he seemed to just stop fighting cleverly and he kind of started to fight Franco's fight and you know Franco for me was was um was was a, was was the clear winner but yeah um I wasn't all for it to be honest and then he comes back he had to come back 2 weeks before the fight um well a, a bit before that actually he came back um 2 weeks before because, uh, you know, you'd have to get there and acclimatize and all the rest of that, but his brother fought in the same venue two weeks before that, and his brother got knocked out by Inoue. So he was probably there a month early or something like that, and I don't know how long he would have spent in Australia 
in between coming back to the to the states it's it's been real messy but anyway the fight itself you're right eddie um maloney started you know started really good um he was straight on his boxing right away everything was behind the jab much like the first fight like i mentioned he was he was um boxing smartly early on franco couldn't do anything with him in that first round maloney i felt was you know, a bit more aggressive than I had predicted, but he clearly won the round and, you know, he kept Franco quiet. Franco spent most of his time with his hands up, blocking shots. Um, Andrew's left hook to the body was a peach of a shot. He landed it time and time again. He swelled up or swelled up the eye of Franco, like we say. Um, you know, Russell Morris said it was a head clash. Replays showed it wasn't. Um, I liked how Maloney was stepping in and out as well. He wasn't staying in the pocket for too long, not kind of getting drawn into a fight like he did last time. Round two, again, a, a round for Maloney. He really started to establish the jab. Franco was getting hit way more often than usual. Franco really seemed to be stuck in his shell, and Maloney was just fully focused on the task at hand. You know, he seemed to be a man on a mission. He, 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 he obviously, you know... Was, was desperate to get his title back. And then, yeah, the fight gets stopped at the start of round three. Russell Mora straight away says it's a no decision. In the opposite corner, Maloney's jumping on the top rope, celebrating, obviously not knowing what's going on. Um, it was done like that because four rounds hadn't been completed. And, you know, obviously if there's an accident before that and four rounds aren't completed, then um, it will be a no contest. But... It wasn't an accident. Replay showed it wasn't. You had Tim Bradley and Andre Ward going crazy, which was good. It was very good to, to, to show their passion there. Um, yeah, 27 minutes it took. Robert Burb was, was the video referee. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was just horrible because Maloney, I think, should be champion based off of that. But again, there's no telling what would have happened in round three, four, five, six, and seven. It could have been exactly like the first fight. Uh, Maloney started great in the first fight, like I say. So there's, we only got to see two rounds, you know, two completed rounds. So it's hard to base. Oh, he was on his way to win and all that. It's it's really difficult, especially if you saw the first fight. You, it could have just gone exactly the same way as a lot of the time rematches do. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah, it was shocking in the end. It, you know, he was kind of robbed in some ways, and I feel for him a lot. He was on the show before the first fight, and I've tried to get him on. Um, since the fight's finished, I'm going to hopefully get him on next week. We shall see. But, um, yeah, I've, I've heard he's going to try and appeal the decision, but I'm not even sure who he can appeal it to because, you know, yeah. the the commission were there, weren't they? You had, um, is it Bob Bennett, I think, was there. And they saw everything. They spent 27 minutes. I mean, what's what's the point in appealing it? Unless perhaps he's going to appeal to the governing body, the WBA. Maybe they can do something. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, well, it's, yeah, go on. it's like this, Joe, one thing. It's like this. If you appeal at something changes, which would be great for him, would be great for, for boxing, really, in a sense. But then what about all the other times that decisions have, have happened that people contested and nothing happened because of all the other ones that came before it? If you contest one and you succeed, unless it's something that was completely blatant and you could easily see it, even though this was kind of easy to see too, that you can then, okay, overturn something. Because I've only seen it, heard of it happening one time. They're going to have to go back and review everything that's happened in the past because then there's going to be other people like, well, what about my fight? What about when this happened? Or what about when that happened? And then it, become, then it becomes a big ordeal. You understand what I'm saying? So what's going to end up happening, and this is the best situation for him, 
and I and, it, and I'm hurting for him, but it's going to get swept under the rug just like it was, just like everything else, and they're going to fight again. That's all that's going to happen. It probably I'm will get swept under the rug, but I've heard, yeah. and the reason why I don't think it happens too much because there is a lot of you know a lot of things that we feel were unfair, as you said, this has happened in boxing so many times, just they get it wrong again. I've heard that it can cost about ten grand to to get something reviewed at least. So you know, maybe a lot of guys don't want to pay ten grand to get it to get it reviewed. You know, we don't usually yep. hear about what happens outside of the ring with stuff like that. But and then it, and then it gets reviewed and nothing happens. Yeah, perhaps. so you spent ten thousand for nothing. Exactly, it's a risk. It's it's a gamble. Um, but but yeah. Getting on to the main event now, Terence Crawford now thirty-seven and zero. Um, and by the way, actually, before we get onto that, I've heard I haven't watched any interviews, but I read somewhere that Bob Arum is hoping to stage a third fight. Apparently, Franco does want the third fight, so so I'm pleased with that. I mean, credit to him. I think this is his yeah. way out if he did want one. They're talking about a potential third fight in Australia. That would really be different there. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. So we Definitely. shall see. Yeah. We shall see. But anyway, um, the main event: Terence Crawford now thirty-seven and zero, a TKO in the fourth round against Britain's Kell Brook, now thirty-nine and three for the WBO welterweight world title. Um, Kell Brook, you know, he was winning on on uh, two of the cards. Uh, that's pretty much how I saw it as well. I gave him the first two, and I gave Crawford uh, round three, and then obviously. You know, Brook fell to pieces in in round four. It, it seemed to happen very quickly. But running through the rounds, um, first round, both guys were really just having a look. Brook, for me, out jabbed Crawford. At times, it was like a game of fencing. You know, Brook was landing his jab. Crawford was falling short by a couple of centimeters because Brook would take that step back. Then he'd step back in, land another jab, and step back out again. It was clever stuff. There weren't too much in. Uh, in the first round, really, but Brook for me won it. Round two, uh, for me, a clear Brook round. He was looking really relaxed in there. He was trying lead right hands, which we don't always see him do, but he's got, you know, he's got every punch in the book, Brook. Um, still jabbing nicely at that point. Uh, Bud then moved into Southpaw um, for that round there, and, you know, he boxed as orthodox in the first round. A close round again, um, but for me, Brook shaded it, even though I just said he won it clear, but. Actually, looking back, yeah, he shaded that second one. Round three, a better round from Crawford. Kell was being caught a bit more often. Uh, Kell was also getting off with some nice right hands of his own, but Crawford, for me, had a lot of success since switching to Southpaw. Um, and then round four, of course, um, you know, the stoppage for me kind of came out of nowhere. The first, you know, the first um, punch that got through and dropped him. Brooke got knocked into the ropes after walking into a solid jab, it was. And, um, you know, he fell back into the ropes. Crawford, you know, chased him to the ropes, landed a few shots while he was kind of in between the ropes. Uh, Tony Weeks jumped in and gave Kel a count. Um, and then, yeah, when the count was up and the boxing continued, Crawford went in for the kill. He landed some some long hooks really with both hands it was a bit wild to to finish it and that was it tony tony weeks jumped in kel looked dazed um it all just seemed like i say to happen so fast i was i was really shocked um i you know it really did take me by surprise i i picked crawford for the late stoppage but i couldn't see it happening within four rounds so it's, it's, it's it has happened within four rounds and i've got uh, nothing really else to say apart from it was a real impressive win for for Crawford. It's a big name, and um, it's probably going to be one of his most impressive wins because no one's ever done that to Brook, as he said himself, in sparring or in a fight. 
Um, he's never, he, you know, he's never been counted out like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually saw him. He was in shape. I remember you sent me the message, and I was like, yeah. And it, you know, I didn't get the chance to message you back right away, but uh, I was like impressed with you know his level of focus and where it seemed like he was. And then even in the locker room, you can kind of see he was a little antsy, a little bit, a little, little, you know, a little busy, moving around a little too much, which kind of you know insinuated he might have been a little nervous, a little excited. But um, when he got into the ring, I mean, he was sharp. And he was he was it was jabbing really nice. He his timing was excellent. You know what I mean? I, I felt like damn, and this guy it really reminds you of how good he can be. You know what I'm saying? Like you just look at the amount of ability and the things that he can do in there, even with a guy like Crawford. Now we know Crawford starts a little slow at times, but to be able to be like a step ahead with the timing and and, and, and quick how how quick the jab was coming off was real good really really good early and i was like damn man he might have crawford a little bit he might go he might he's gonna give crawford some work tonight and you know all of a sudden in the third round i seen actually i seen it after the first round where crawford kind of stepped into the southpaw stands and threw a couple shots and it looked like he had him kind of on his back on his heel a little bit so it kind of seemed like he threw you know he was kind of a little you know thrown for a little bit with the with the southpaw and then so when he so once he actually came back to it he kind of took away kel's jab which was really what was was the difference maker early in the fight. And he I didn't want to say he completely took it away, but he definitely made it a more difficult angle for his jab to land perfectly in that position. So um when he started to and then he started throwing this nice chopping like jab over the top, which ends up ended up being the shot that actually stopped, you know, it stopped his momentum and actually hurt him and almost got him out of there. It was like a weird shot. It's I think it was just the angle of it and how he was throwing and moving into the punch at the same time as what really hurt him. But it also made me worry a little bit for him because like, damn man, it, I ain't saying, I'm not going to say it seemed like a nothing shot because people remember me getting hit by that Vladimir Klitschko shot. And it was like, man, I didn't look like it was much, but it obviously did the job. So in this case, seeing that that happened, it started making me think he got hit like in the eye area around the temple. And I'm like, yo, that's where all of the injuries were. And it kind of made you think like, ah, maybe he needs to stop. You know what I mean? Just thinking about his his health and well being after, you know, after his career is over. Do you want to keep taking punishment, even if it's not a lot? You know what I mean? It's just not worth it. But as far as the fight went, it just showing, you know, like how how good of a fighter Terence Crawford is. But to 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 be able to beat a guy like Kel, even in the position that he was in, like he was really ready to win that fight. Like it really impressed me how he came into the fight, but. You know what goes up must come down, and uh, and as 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 fast as he took control, or look, he had control early, is as quick as he lost it. And uh, you know, but I guess that's why Crawford is Crawford. Yeah, definitely. It was sad to see from from a British uh, standpoint because you know Kel, Kel, man, he just hasn't had the the career I think he could have had. Man, he he didn't have the fights right. he, he he should have had. I think, and it's a shame because you know. I honestly think he could have perhaps gone down. It's going to sound crazy now because now definitely not. But well, if, if he man. could have gone down as a as a, as a, as a Hall of Famer by the end of it, he was that good. I honestly oh, think, I man, he was so good. Listen, what well, if if he doesn't fight Triple G? What if he, and that's the only fight I'm saying. If it doesn't happen, if he doesn't fight Triple G, then that happens. Yeah, he should have. If he'd have stayed away from that particular fight, thinking with your nuts. And not thinking with your brain pulls. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you 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 have to think things through. And I wish I would have done the same thing. He, I'll fight him. You know, what I mean? I'll fight him. I don't care. I, I can beat him. I'm, I'm better. 
You know what I mean? Skill wise, I should be able to go in there and take care of it. I'm a bigger guy anyway. I'm a big guy anyway. You, you, but you're not comfortable with what he had to offer. And then you go up in there and you get damaged. Now you come back down, you fight Earl Spence and you get damaged in that fight too. Those two fights basically slowed your career or cut almost, almost to a, to a halt. You know what I mean? Then you're like, oh, nobody thinks Kell is what he was once before, you know, uh, once those, those two fights happened. Now what? Did it look like a smart move then? I know it's money. I know it's an opportunity, but what happens if this happens? Now look at your career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, I think that's it. I mean, like I say, he showed signs of not being as good as what he was in his last few fights. And then it's kind of difficult to read into it. I mean, he, he definitely won for me the first two rounds and, you know, what 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 really is that you're winning two? I'm not saying it's 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 an easy thing to do, but I'm just saying he's won two rounds. He looked he looked good for two rounds, and he gets stopped in four. Um, should he call it a day? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's difficult, man. But anyways, leaving it there, leaving it there. It's a shame for Kel, but it's a brilliant win for Terence. Again, my pound for pound number one. Just another reason why he um he he deserves that placement in in my list anyway. But um that's it though for the review part. Just before we uh well this we're just gonna run straight through actually. Let's let's go on to the news now. Um. Matram have signed a lady called Hyan Michoy. I think I'm probably saying it wrong, but anyway, this lady is the uh, the undefeated WBA super featherweight world champion. Um, it's some kind of multi-fight promotional deal. It's interesting because she actually won a world title on her debut, which certainly doesn't happen too often. But it's a sign in that. Um, you know, no one expected to happen. It's a bit of a weird one, really. Um, Joshua Franco, right after he had that controversial no contest with uh, with with Andrew Maloney, he's been signed. Um, you know, to, to to MTK Global. So that's it. That's really interesting. And also, MTK Global have snapped up another young undefeated prospect, Hector Tanahara, friend of the show, Hector Tanahara. So uh, not surprised with that at all because him and Joshua Franco are pretty good friends. I think they train out the same gym, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in other news, we've had a fight announced for December the 11th. It's um, it's going to be on the... I thought it was on an undercard, actually. I thought it was on the um, Craig Richards and Shakan Pitts undercard. Maybe not. Anyway, it's going to be on the... Uh, on December the 11th, like I say, it's going to be free to air on Channel 5, um, a TV uh, TV network that you've fought on before, Eddie, when you were over here. And, um, yeah, we're going to get to see Sam Eggington take on Ashley Fearfame. That'll be quite interesting there. Um, Ashley Fearfame, I think, is only looking to have the one, the one last fight, and then that's going to be it. I think he's going to retire. So, yeah, that's a tough fight to take. Um we shall see how that one plays out. December twelfth, the very next day, Shakur Stevenson steps in at kind of late notice, really, to take on Toka Khan Clary. That one is um, at, uh, at at featherweight. That one. Um, so uh, sorry, not a featherweight, it's super featherweight. So uh, yeah, that'll be interesting there. You've also got Felix Vadejo on that card against uh, Masayoshi Nakatani and Edgar Belanga, the guy that knocks everyone out in one round. He is also on that card. Um, Dave Allen has decided to retire, Eddie. Um, that's obviously oh, yeah. yeah that that hits hits close to home for you. Obviously, he's a good friend of yours. But um, yeah, do you want to give us a, a word on his retirement? No, you know what? I, you know, I've always said Dave has so much more ability than he ever than he showed. You know, during during his career, 
but they've always wanted to do things, I guess, the easy or the hard way, or whatever way you look at it, depending on who you are. But I mean, it's good. You know what I mean? I'd rather him, I'd rather him get out of it. You know, when before he actually starts to talk, you know, before you can't understand him. You know what I'm saying? And, and being a guy who's tough and who takes punishment and gives punishment and all that is great when they're fighting and when they're on top and when they're young. But once they start to get older, you start to see the effects of it. And him being a friend of mine, I don't want to see that from, you know, from him. I don't want that kind of thing to, to be that. I don't want that to be his legacy because he hasn't won any titles at this point. He's been in good positions and he's been, he's been really, really popular actually in the, in the last uh, a few years, which I'm really, really happy to see. And I always felt like he could be doing so much more skill-wise in the ring. But, like, I think he had told a story about the whole Usyk thing when he was over there sparring Usyk and in the, in the, in the, how he um, was knocked out, but he didn't actually go down. He was still in there fighting and just didn't remember half the session. Uh, and it's like, damn, when you think about those things, and he's like, man, that's it for me. And that's a, a very, very good decision. When you feel like I was in there working, and didn't even know I was in there working. That means it's time for me to get out of this game, because because to be that hurt, to not know or recall any of the things that you were doing, and your body was just on autopilot. Doing, and he said he, the funny thing is he said he was doing actually pretty good. It's like man, it's time, and I and I understand where he's coming from. I don't take punishment. That's not what I do. I don't feel like that. I'm not. My body's not made to get hit too much, and that's just the way I am. But a guy like him who can take punishment, give punishment, big, strong guy, when it's time and you realize it's time and you felt things that you really don't need to feel anymore and your mind's not where it needs to be with the sport, 100% agree it's time to walk away from. Yeah. And, you know, if, if yeah, I mean, if he's going to retire, then he should stay retired. I hope he doesn't do a U-turn on it. But it's an interesting time because obviously... You know, he came back from sparring Usyk, and I'm sure you've seen the video where Usyk doesn't throw another shot after hurting him, which is really classy as well. But, um, yeah. but yeah, you know, he, he came back. He was actually supposed to be boxing on the Usyk Jisora undercard. It's only that Christopher Lovejoy, um, his opponent, actually, you know, couldn't fight in the end because Don King put a stop to it um, a couple of days before the fight. So he was supposed to be on that undercard, and then they actually announced the fight. He was going to be taking... Um, taking part in a fight, Dave, uh, that I think they announced about two days before he announced his retirement. So it came as a bit of a shock, really. A lot of people are not quite sure whether to believe it or not. But, yeah, if that is the end, then hopefully, you know, he, he sticks with his decision. I don't want to see him do a U-turn, um, you know, any anytime soon if, if, if he's sure. What, you know, he knows himself better than anyone else does. But anyway, moving on. Um, another another few fights have been announced on the Joshua Pulev undercard. Again, we get to see Joshua Pulev, obviously, on Sky Sports box office on December 12th. On the undercard, we get to see Akoli and Glowacki for the vacant Cruiserweight world title. But two other fights have been added. We get to see uh, Martin Bacoli and Sergei Kuzmin. A, a good heavyweight fight there for the WBC international heavyweight title. Both men have one loss to the same guy, that guy being Michael Hunter. So that'd be interesting there to see who wins that. And another fight's been added. Huey Fury steps in against Marius Wack. So all the best to wow. Huey 
in that one there. And the final piece of news is that Canelo has announced his next fight. It's going to be taking place December 19th. It didn't look like we were going to be be seeing him in uh, you know in in in, in you know, before the year's out, he gets in against Callum Smith, the undefeated wow. uh, WBA super middleweight world champion. So all the best to our very own Callum Smith in that one there. Um, that's a huge fight he's landed there. So all the best to him. That's going to be taking place, like I say, December 19th. Um, they haven't announced the venue yet, but it's going to be somewhere in Texas. So that's not really a surprise. Um, it's going to be interesting, really, because, you know, Canelo has... Um, has boxed Liam Smith, so he's going to box two of the of the four Smith brothers. Um, anyway, that's it for the news. Moving on to the preview part, I'm going to try to go through this as quick as possible. This one takes place tomorrow, Friday, November 20th, at the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, USA. Um, it seems like through this pandemic, a lot of fighters have been coming out of retirement, and it seems like I keep saying this guy's been retired for six years. And I think I said it with Juan Pablo Hernandez, the cruiserweight Cuban. Um, and then I said it with Sergio Martinez. And here's another guy coming out of retirement. Um, I'm not sure if he actually officially retired. But anyway, he hasn't boxed for six years. He's back. 24-3 and three is his record. He takes on a guy called Ryan Soft, who is 4-11 with a draw. It's over eight rounds. And the man I'm talking about, Tavoris Cloud. So all the best to wow. him coming back. Um, moving out now to Quebec, Canada. This one on Saturday. We get to see Yves Ulysse Jr., a guy who I was very high on, actually. Um, he's 18-2 and two now. It's very kind of weird because he lost a fight to a guy called Steve Claggett, and he was really, really upset with the decision. He felt he won the fight. He was so angry that he decided, you know, I want to fight like as soon as possible. So his promoters got him a fight six weeks later against the undefeated Cletus Seldin. And he absolutely scored Cletus Seldin. He looked really good. And I thought, wow, this guy is really good. Perhaps that one loss was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a weird one. Uh, maybe he deserved to win it. Anyway, his last fight, he took on Ishmael Barroso, who Brits will know really well for fighting um, Anthony Crawler and Kevin Mitchell and stuff like that. And he lost to Barroso. A bit of a shock loss there, Yves Ulysse. But anyway, he's back here, 18-2. and two. It's for the vacant WBC francophone super lightweight title. He takes on Mattiao Germain, who's 18-1 and one with a draw. And that's over 10 rounds there. But Steve Claggett, the guy who took Ulysses' O, he's actually on the undercard, funny enough. Anyway, moving out now to the Wembley Arena. Um, it was going to be on pay-per-view. Obviously, it's not happening now with Povetkin and White, but the show still goes on non-pay-per-view. Topping the bill, Connor Ben, 16-0. and 0. This is a defense here of his WBA Continental Welterweight title. He takes on Sebastian Formella, who's 22-1. and 1. The one loss came on points to Sean Porter about... I don't know, about six, seven, eight weeks ago, something like that. This is a very big, big step up for Conor Ben. Um, I hope he can come through it because it's a tough test. You know, people don't, you know, bums don't go the distance with Sean Porter, let me tell you. So so he's got to be on his A game, Conor Ben, there to pull off the win. And Sebastian Formella, Formella quite a... Quite a uh, 
you know, a schooled amateur as well, if I'm not mistaken. Quite an experienced amateur. Uh, we also get to see a really good heavyweight fight between Alan the Savage Babich. He's 5-0. and He takes on Tom Little over eight rounds. Uh, Tom Little, 10-8. and There could be some smart money on the underdog there. Uh, Fabio Wardley, 9-0. and He's in a 10-rounder against Richard Larty of Ghana. Obviously, Larty's been over here a, a bunch of times now. Um... Well, against Nathan Gorman and against Daniel Dubois. He's back in a 10-rounder here against Wardley. Could be interesting. Could be terrible. We shall see. Um, and that's it. That's that's the end of the previewing. I've flown through that as quick as possible. Like I say, stick with us. We've got about a 90-minute interview. Very in-depth with Sean Bay Mitchell coming up in just a few seconds. But before we get to that, Eddie, it's time to say goodbye and thank you to you once again for sticking with me this week. And... Um, I apologize that we didn't have enough time to do the lockdown knockdown and I look forward to doing it next week. But just before you go, actually, I've I've just remembered I almost let you off the hook there. I forgot to ask you <laughs> the trivia question. Oh, I know yeah. you didn't want to remind me about it. I know you you probably know you're I, trying to get out I of that actually, <laughs> I actually I don't want to get into the L, but I actually was gonna remind you, believe it or not. I was actually gonna do it. As much as I don't want to take another L, you know what I mean? Okay. Well, here is the question. Which, oh, let me think before I speak here. I don't want to give too much away. Which former heavyweight world champion Mm -hmm. once retiring from boxing in his later days, he's passed away now. In his later days, he became a greeter. In a hotel. I believe it was the Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. He was a greeter. Everyone that came in, he would, uh, you know, he'd take pictures. He'd welcome them, welcome them to the hotel. He'd play, I think, with uh, house money on some of the, you know, some of the casino games, stuff like that. Ugh. You know what's funny enough? I've actually heard this story. And I cannot remember who that was the greeter. But I... Damn, I, I I heard this. Somebody told me this. It might have been my manager told me that a long time ago. It was some like a former champion. That I think that he he knew of. It would be real bad if it was somebody I really knew. And he said he passed away now. Oh, wow. Well, so you get, tell me when he passed away. So at least you can give me that. Come Ooh, on, man. Okay. He passed away in... No, you didn't know. You didn't. You didn't know this guy. He passed away in 1981. Well, no, I'm not saying. That. No, 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 I'm not saying. Personally, I knew it. yeah, Personally. I get it. I get it. Then my manager might have knew of him. That in 81, huh? Great heavyweight champion, like big time. Heavyweight champion, like all time great. <laughs> I'm not confirming yeah. or denying. Yeah, come on, man. I. I'm not even gonna answer because I don't know. Okay. I want to go ahead. Go ahead and give it to me if if it's if it's what I was gonna think. No, just go ahead. Give it to me. Let me hear what it is. So in 1970, Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas hired this former heavyweight world champion as a greeter, um, a job which involved signing autographs, betting with house money when the action seemed a little slow, and playing golf with special guests. Um, yeah, they, they gave him housing as well because he kind of, you know, as a lot of fighters do, they run out of money. 
And yeah, right. this guy passed away in 1981, April the 12th. The guy was, it's another L for you, an L for his surname, Joe Lewis. God damn. I swear, hey, Joe, I, I swear to God, on everything, I was going to say Joe Lewis. And God, that just made me so mad, Joe. That just pissed me off so much because I knew it. I could feel that it was going to be. And I knew it was Joe Lewis because I remember that shit. And I remember he died. And the, and the funny thing is, I remember he died the year before I was born. I knew it was it. Oh, man. Why did I just not say it? Why didn't I just say it? You're better off. And I was yeah, like, you're better off guessing next time. If you're not sure, right, just say a guess. You might get it. A, but that wasn't even a guess because I knew the <laughs> shit and I remember it. Now and then it wasn't Rob. It was a documentary that I was watching and it was telling, it was saying some of the things that he did because he didn't have money. And I remember, I was like, oh man. And I knew this. It was not a guess. At first I was like, wait, Sonny Liston? Because I knew he did. But remember we talked about the referee and I was like, Nah, it was Joe Lewis. And I knew it was fucking Joe Lewis. I'm so mad for not saying that. I'm sorry. Man, I should get credit for that. Uh, I, I don't should... think you should get credit for it. I'm sorry. But I, said, I didn't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, another L. I got to lose the record of this shit, yo. And I shouldn't. I, I, that shit would have got, got me a one fight closer, one win closer. It would have. I'm so mad that I didn't say it. Oh, my God. And I, and I really really knew it i swear that's why i was so mad when you said joe lewis i'm like motherfucker like <laughs> why did i say it like what is wrong with me sometimes like always second guessing myself man i can't do this no more From now on i'm gonna say this shit whether i'm right or wrong hell with it but yeah like i said we I... need we need some more questions sent in that one was from me that's like the last one i've got so i'll i'll have to do the homework if no one sends them in we haven't really had any being sent in the last couple i can't of believe weeks. i let you I let you beat me again, Joe. That's fucked up, yo. I'm sorry, man. That's messed up. I'm sorry. But yeah. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but, but yeah, like I say, Eddie, sorry to end on a bad note, but as I was saying, thanks for yeah, joining man. me again. Obviously, next time we'll definitely do a lockdown knockdown. And um, yeah, just, just thanks again for your time, man. I, it's, I always appreciate it, as you know. No problem, man. No problem. Thanks for the question, too. I appreciate that, too. <laughs> okay my man well there we go um that's that's the end of eddie chambers like i say the final thing to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast the former 140 world champion sean bay mitchell and after that i'll of course come in with the outro if there's any news that develops from now till the end of the show in recording then i will say at the very end but yeah thanks once again eddie and here is the interview with sean bay mitchell Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA light welterweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Sean Bay Mitchell. Sean Bay, welcome to the show, my man. Ah, thank you for having me, man. Hey, it's my pleasure, Sean Bay. It truly is. <laughs> I, I want to ask you this, Sean Bay. I, I always start with this question when doing this kind of interview, really. Uh, where did the journey begin? What's your earliest memory of, of first ever putting on a pair of gloves in the beginning? <laughs> um... <laughs> My journey probably began um, when I was a kid. I think my mom, I, I went outside and um, <laughs> and um, kids was bothering, was messing with me. I think I was probably about five or six, something like that. And I was always the smallest kid out there. So I went outside and I came back in crying. My mom said, if you don't get back out there, I'm going to kick your butt if you don't kick their butt. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, <laughs> so guess what? I went back outside and kicked their butt. So there you go. And then um, I was playing football and um, basketball. I was doing other sports. And my dad came past my house one day when I was eight years old and uh, asked me to take a ride with him and took me to um, Hyattsville, Maryland and to Round One Boxing Club, which Adrian Davis had. And um, that's where I started fighting in 1978. Wow, amazing, man. I love to get the backstory for how everyone started out. Um, forgive me, Sean Bay, if, I, if I'm not too clued up on this, but did you have an extensive amateur career at all? Oh, yeah. I um, I was... Um, I went all the way to um, I lost to Kevin Kelly in the Olympic trials in 88 I was I was me Mark and I Mark Tushop Johnson and I was the two youngest on that 88 team at that year on that year wow. so um, yeah I went all the way um, to there I um, won the junior Olympics um, I won um, I lost in the Golden Glove Nationals um I mean, I I did it all, and I did it in a, in a short period of time, especially when I um I turned open because my because of my age, I had just qualified to go open, and um um when I won the um the chance to go to the the Olympic festival in '87, which we had it in North Carolina that year, um. I went to the Olympic Festival. I had to get permission to even go to the Olympic Festival qualifications in Lake Placid. So I went up there, and I and I and I won that. So it qualified me for the Olympic Festival. So I ended up going to the Olympic Festival in '87, right before the Olympics. And Sean Bay, what would you say was your kind of highlight moment of the amateurs? Of the amateurs, um, man, probably. When the, I won the most prestigious tournament in the U.S. that they probably had, and that was the um, Ohio State Fair. I'm, I'm my, myself, and actually Mark's older brother um, won it the most out of anybody in the history, and won it. I won it six times in a row. Oh wow! Um, the Ohio State Fair, yeah. So everybody you know, from Mike Tyson to Tommy Hearns to Harold McKenta, all of, everybody fought at the Ohio State Fair. Everybody. Wow. Major, major tournament. I, I actually, um, my last year, I ended up beating Arturo Gotti in the um, in the finals. Wow. And I actually ended up winning the um, Outstanding Fighter that year. Um, at one oh, at, I think it was one oh six. I fought at one oh six. That was the last year I fought in um, nineteen eighty six. Was the last year I fought there. Yep. Wow. Well, there you go. But I want to get onto your pro career, Sean Bay. You turned pro on September twenty third, nineteen eighty eight, in Atlantic City. <laughs> uh, you box a guy by the name of Eddie Cologne. You stopped him in the third round. Yeah. Do you remember much of your debut? Yeah. No, I was. I, I remember I was scared. I was supposed. I was actually supposed to fight on TV, and I was in the back in my dressing room, nervous. And um, Frank Gale was my promoter at the time, was my manager and promoter at the time. And he was like, I was like, man, can I go on now? 
You know, he said, we want you to fight on TV. And he said, well, if you want to go on now, we'll, we'll put you in front. <laughs> so they made me go on. They let me go on. Yep. <laughs> and I want to, I want to. But I was the first, it's, it's funny, as a, as a, um, a pro also, you know, um, they wouldn't let me do a lot of things also. Like I couldn't fight eight rounds for a while. They wouldn't let me fight 10 rounds for a while. I had to get permission to do a lot of things, even as a, as a pro. So it, it's weird, like they what they do now. Like a lot of these kids are seventeen, eighteen years old, turning pro. They're giving out belts. They're giving out like <laughs> loads of money. But you know, we had to. I I had to get permission to do a lot of things. Like I end up getting permission to be able to fight a eight round fight, and then a ten round fight in Atlantic City. When I went to Vegas, I had to get permission to to be able to fight a ten round fight in Vegas. It's it's mad how times have changed because it's it's just getting it's, it's unfortunate, Sean, baby. It's getting more and more of a business these days, and you're seeing that with these YouTube boxes and stuff like that. You know, it's absolutely it was more of a sport back back then. But um, let me fast forward here yeah. to to March of 1990. By this point, you'd you'd been a pro for 18 months. You were 13 and 0. Uh, you took on former WBC super featherweight world champion Rafael Lemon again in Atlantic City. Um, tell me about that fight there. I guess it was really your kind of first real test. You were able to win a unanimous decision over eight rounds, but during the fight, a very unusual incident took place. Tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> that was on the bloopers. That was everything, man. Um, end up pulling my pants down, <laughs> and I end up wearing suspenders. But um, yeah, yeah, that was one of the fights I had to get permission to um, be able to fight eight rounds and stuff on. So yeah, um, Rafael Lamont, <laughs> that was a funny time. Yeah, end up pulling our pants down, man, because yeah, frustrated and um. And then I really beat him up then. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, you, you got the win, you gathered the experience. And jumping forward again to, I want to jump here to April of 1992. By this point, you're 27-0. and 0. Uh, You box in New Jersey against the former two-time super featherweight world champion, Rocky Lockridge. Uh, it ended up being Rocky's last ever pro fight, but again, it was a great learning fight for you at the time. I feel you were able to oh, pre- ab- absolutely, yeah, you were able to pretty much shut him out really over ten rounds. Not many people did that. Tell us about that fight there, Sean Bay. Man, that was the fight. I tell everybody. Everybody asks me, you know, who was the, your hardest hitting guy, and that was him. Man, um, I mean, blasted me. I was sitting on a rope seat blasted me I think with a right hand or something and I didn't see anything and then the bell rang and I went to my corner and I was like what what just happened so um he was one of those guys and um you know um he was you know like they do you know bring old champions and um you know get you that that kind of experience and um it was an honor you know fighting fighting him and 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 then winning, getting that experience to be able to do that, you know, and 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 like I said, you know, you was just saying, you know, I was twenty, what twenty seven old then, yeah, and and still have not had a chance to get a shot at a world title, un unreal, unbelievable. Like well, nowadays, you know, they 
like I said, they almost giving away belts, and they want to, you know, say these guys are, you know, world beaters, and you know, they just not. But it is what it is now. <laughs> but no, like I say, at that time, that's that's a great win for yourself. Um, you know, against you know a former champion, a good champion at that at that. Uh, after yeah. that, you rack up another two wins. Then you get to thirty and zero. That's when you box the undefeated thirty five and zero Chad Brossard. Um, the the fight takes place uh, in the Caesars Palace in Las Vegas for the vacant NABF lightweight title. You had him down three times Correct. in the first round. You managed to get the first round <laughs> knockout uh, again on the uh-huh. on the undercard of Bo Holyfield the rematch. The, Bo the, Holyfield, the night of the yeah. fan man. The fan man, <laughs> yeah. But tell us about that. <laughs> n- t- tell us about that night from your experience, Sean Bay. <laughs> oh man, that that was one of the the greatest nights. Um, uh, you know, I, I went in there really confident. Me, Riddick, uh, Riddick, and I, and um, you know, um, Rock Newman. All of our, you know, we worked together to be able to put that fight together. Um, and my and my and my um, management team, you know, put that fight together, and um, I, I thought it was a great fight with this guy that was undefeated, you know, and see what he had, and I, I was one of those guys that didn't care, you know, who I fought, you know, I, I thought I could beat anybody, so you know, I, I went in there and did it, and um, they call it like one of the the, the greatest knockouts in, in you know, um, in the fastest knockouts. Um, but that, that night, it's funny that night, um, I'm, I'm sitting down there and I end up meeting Luke Gossip Jr. <laughs> at, at the fight, um, at a night. And he was like, man, you were amazing. So I ended up meeting him that night at the fight. The fan man came in and, and blew everything up, man. You know, everybody knows the fan man, but guess what? I, I was able to be there, see it and win a belt on that night. That's incredible, man. So, were you ringside when he flew in? Yeah, wow. I was in. I was. I was. I was right at ringside. Um, I can't remember who was sitting. It was somebody that was sitting beside me that was. Famous. I could. I can't remember one of the actors or something was sitting right beside me, and we was. We was like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, man. One of the. So yeah, that was amazing. It was a cold night too. That was one of the cold nights on in uh, Vegas, also. <laughs> That's just one of the most bizarre things in in boxing history, of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. F- well, we I did a lot of that with Bo. Shoot, Bo and I when we fought um, on ESPN in DC together, and um, Rock Newman came up and 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 pulled the guy over the rope, Ch- choked him out, choked him by the neck, and pulled him over the rope. That was another one. <laughs> I fought on that card too. Wow, you would you would be the crazy luck charm, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but four months after that, after that crazy night there, Sean Bay, you're back in the ring defending your newly won uh, NABF title. You also put your under, undefeated record on the line against a fellow undefeated boxer, the eventual IBF. Uh, lightweight world champion, the late Lavanda Johnson. Uh, you were winning the fight on yeah. two of the judges' scorecards before being knocked out in the eighth round, and of course losing for the first time in your career. Tell us about that one, right. there, Sean Lavanda Johnson. Me and Lavanda Johnson always had kind of like a a little um, spill with each other. 
we had like a it, it was a more of a DC Atlantic City kind of a, a thing, but you know it it was all in great friendship, you know friendship and probably competing wise, you know. Um, um, I thought he was always a great guy. I thought he was always a, a good fighter. He just was not better than myself. And I, I went and it, it's weird because I had just signed with Don and we were going through so much stuff um, because I, I can't remember. I, one of the those fans guys at the time was the champion. I wanted to fight him. He wanted to match me in Levanda, and then he wasn't going to give me a shot at the title. And I'm, like, getting frustrated. So for that fight, actually, I defeated myself because I didn't train. Um, I was more frustrated than anything. And I went into the fight, you know, not prepared. I went into the fight totally not prepared. So I, I really blame myself on that. It's pretty much a frustration and, um, you know, just – uh, pure um, fed up with what was going on. I see. And, you know, after that, obviously, you're back in the ring only three months later, which, looking back now, seems quite soon after a stoppage loss, especially, you know, when when you know when you ended up boxing um, the, the eventual two-time WBC lightweight world champion Stevie Johnson, who at the time was 11-0. and um, Again, unfortunately for you, you'd, you'd suffer a knockout loss again, uh, this time in round nine. And that... Bad patch for you. Right, there. but that one, that one, that one was really bogus. Remember, the, the ref that, ref that, that's the one that was taking bribes on um, uh, on ref and, and um, I think is is it he he's not alive anymore, right? I think he's deceased now. Uh, I believe. Yeah, he died young. Yeah, because he was taking bribes, and I think it was something with with that. But he that that was a fight that shouldn't have never been stopped at all. I went back on the ropes, and then he stops it. Like the the two fights that I really now I I really. I'm angry about being stopped with that fight definitely because if I'm in the fight, I'm kind of, I thought I was winning the fight and you know, like it ain't, he not shutting me out or I'm not shutting him out, but you know, the fight is closed. You're going to stop because I went back on the rope. That was it. So that's the guy that was, that was the ref that was, um, you know, taking bribes for fights. Yeah. And, that fight there, I don't think should have been stopped. In Floyd fight, definitely <laughs> it shouldn't have been stopped. Yeah, we'll 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 get to. That. I took it. We'll get to. That. I took a knee for a reason. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But yeah, the referee in question, Mitch Halpern. Um, yeah, he only lived to be yeah. thirty-three years of age. Um, yeah, yeah, you, uh-huh. you're right. The, the fight was close. You were ahead on one of the cards. Um, right. So yeah. You know, you 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 manage, like I say, to get to thirty one and zero. Everything was going great. Then you get in there with you know with two undefeated fighters back to back. Both guys were really good amateurs. We mentioned, um, obviously, at the point you fought them, no one knew for sure how good, you know, how good they'd be as pros. They both went on to become world champions. Do you blame bad matchmaking for those losses at all, Sean? But in particular, the second fight. No, not at all. No? Not at all. No, the first fight myself. The second fight, um, I, that that wasn't my fault. It wasn't his fault. It it was all the refs. If 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 you 
if you ever pull that fight up or ever get tape on that fight, you see that fight, you'll be like, what What did they stop that for? Mm. <laughs> I wasn't hurt. He never hurt me or anything like that. I, I was clearly in the fight, winning the fight. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, that, that one was bad refing all the way around. And Sean Bay, obviously you know yourself that boxing is such a mental sport. You've got to have mental toughness to succeed at the top level. Absolutely, absolutely. Even though you're, you know, you've got kind of reasons for these losses. You blamed yourself that the referee was at fault in the second one. Did you ever have a moment kind of looking back, your record read two back-to-back stoppage defeats. Did you ever have doubt in your mind that you perhaps wouldn't go on to become a world champion at this point? Nah, never. Because... <laughs> I, I never, never did I, because I, I didn't. I always said to myself, only person that can beat me is myself. That's it, and I've always kept that in my head and, and kept that going with myself. The only person that can beat me is myself. Do you feel maybe like the losses turned you into a better fighter at all? Then, well, um, it made me, it made me be um, more, have more respect for the game. And 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 just go back and do and do homework, and make sure that it didn't happen again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It you you always get measure a man of the you know you can you 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 win and you lose. It's it's how you get back up and um and 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 finish out you know what you're doing. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, naturally, after those two fights, you, you dropped down a level a little bit. You came back with two wins, one over Lyndon Walker in two rounds. A guy who also lost his his um, his O to Lavanda Johnson. Then, obviously, a win over Wayne Baudreau in five rounds. Your next fight, however, you'd step back in with another undefeated fighter, uh, this time in the shape of Teron Millet. Another guy who would go on to become a future world champion. However, this time, you make a huge, huge statement. You knock him out in round one. No one ever beat him in, in, in that fashion throughout his entire career. At that point, Sean Bay, do you feel like this was the type of win, perhaps, that your career needed, not to convince yourself, but to convince the, the public, the fans, that you were the real deal? Those were just, just two blips. Absolutely. Absolutely, because they like it was a it was a that one was a whole Don King thing period that one truly and he was one of his fighters and then Tehran really did not like me that much anyway (laughs) and I didn't really care for him that much any either so it even sparked it even more and um I knew I was gonna go in there and handle business I like I said again I never ducked anyone. If you put them in front of me, it's it's my job to you know, to knock them down. Yeah, and and like I said before, you know the possibility of those two hiccups, I'm going to call them, uh, pushing you on. You say it didn't really do much for you. I I, I disagree. I think you it, it gave you some kind of push because that was a brilliant win. It well, seemed like a blessing in disguise. Well, absolutely. Bit, you know, it, it it gives you a, it gives you a push because. It 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 it, lets, it it tells me and tells people that I really ain't gonna like you know if they they would lose losses but this is really me you know let me let me come back and and do what I know how to do and I, and I'm not gone anywhere don't count me out yeah 
And yeah, you know, like I say, you put together a bit of a run, an eight-fight knockout win streak right up until you box former two-time world title challenger, Rafael Barboza. Uh, this one was for the WBA Feder Latin Super lightweight title. The fight takes place in Miami, Florida yeah. on May the 10th, 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, Barboza was a tough guy, man. You put him down three times in the fight. Yes, indeed. But ultimately, <laughs> it ended <laughs> with with a unanimous decision win for you over 12. Tell us about that one. Like I say, tough guy. Holy smoke. <laughs> Holy smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was just like what you just said. Like, I mean, you know, I, I I could hear him with absolutely everything, and he wouldn't go anywhere. I'm like, what? Like, what's keeping this dude up here? But um, those that was another one of those fights. You know, like, I want to grab this title, this WBC Fed Lad team. I want to grab this title. You know, I want to let people know that I'm. I need. I need a world title shot. I should have been had a world title shot, and, and, and that was the statement I wanted to make. Yeah, no, a good win. Like like we said, a tough, a tough guy. Um, you, you grabbed another two knockout wins, one over Desi Ford in five rounds and one over Bobby Elkins in one round. This then brings us up to October 10th, 1998. 22 years ago last month, that'd be. Uh, you box the reigning <laughs> WBA light welterweight world champion Khalid Rahilu. Um, you had to travel all the way to Paris, Sean Bay. Tell us about the night that your dreams yeah. of becoming a world champion came true. So this is funny. <laughs> he fought, um, he had fought um, Don's guy. Uh, what's his name? Um, the one who beat um, Chavez. He had, he had just beat Chavez and then um, he fought uh, Frank Raphael. Frankie Randall. Frankie Randall, yeah. So Frankie Randall fights him, right? And I'm watching this fight. And as I'm watching this fight, I pick up the phone and call Don. I pick up the phone and call Debbie, his daughter. And I'm like, Deb, I want to fight that. I want to fight that guy. So Don calls me the next day. Man, do you really want to fight that guy? Yeah, he can't fight. He can't beat me. I'm telling you, he cannot listen to me. He cannot beat me. John, you're about that. Man, look, he can't beat me. If you put that fight together, trust me, I'm going to beat you. So he puts the fight together. The whole time I'm in this, out at his training camp, he really doesn't believe that I can really win out there. So he has his other guy, one of the other guys from America is fighting on that card also. So he had real big hype, hope about him. So he kept saying, you know, um, the real guy that I got fighting on here is, you know, when, I think he was a welterweight at the time. That was the welterweight that fought on the card also. But that was the main event because that was Raphael. I mean, that was his um, his hometown. Went in there, and I just knew for sure. Like, I knew. I was like, man, I told my trainers and all, I, I'm going to knock him out. I'm gonna knock. I'm gonna. I'm gonna destroy. I'm gonna knock him out. So I went in there and I just played. I was such in tip-top shape. You just don't understand. I woke up. I was at Don's training camp in in Ohio in Orwell. I woke up every morning at four o'clock in the morning and trained. That's that's what time I started training in the gym. 
four o'clock in the morning. Wow. Early mornings. Yeah, because Paris was that that time that that time I knew I would probably be fighting around that time or you know that I wanted to get used to their their time you know their time change the time change. Okay, and and what was it like really to you know to to travel there? It's a long way away from where you're from, and obviously you know to go out there knowing if it goes to the cards they might try and job you on the cards perhaps. You, you did it. Absolutely. Yeah, you did it. Yeah, absolutely, but. Um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to put, I knew I had to go there and really beat them or knock them out. And I knocked them down, what, I, I put them on the ground, what, three or four times, um, had them hurt a couple of times. Um, I was surprised they didn't even stop the fight, but, you know, it went 12 and, you know, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. If they would have stole that one from me, then it's, I mean, Come on. <laughs> it's no way in 3,000 worlds I could have got robbed of that one. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, I like to ask this question, Sean Bay, because I, I hear a variety of different answers, but try your best to describe to me that feeling of, of becoming a world champion. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. When you, you wait, you wait so long to... First, me as a first, first me as a kid. Um, I just think of this, this young kid from Washington D.C., born and raised in, you know, with nothing, to just get into a sport. And to be honest with you, I was what boxing is not my number one sport. Football is, and I always wanted to play football. That that was my sport, football, and to be able to get into boxing and, you know, when you get into these sports um, as a kid in football, the the big thing is win a, a um, Super Bowl, right? Get a Super Bowl ring. And basketball, get an NBA title, get, get an NBA ring. As a fighter, is become a world champion, get a world title in, in, in a ring. And I finally accomplished that. It, it, it's funny because I, I – I go, I go home to my grandmother, and my grandmother was all, always telling me, um, "Sean Bay, you, you, you are, um, what she say, you, you, are, you, you, you trader of everything, or master of none, or that, that wording that they always used to use, Americans use." But I went home and I told her, "Grandma, I, I finally mastered something," <laughs> <laughs> and and. and I gave her, I let her see my belt, <laughs> you know, like I finally mastered something. So that, that getting that world, it's like, you ah, I didn't even really sleep that night. You know, I didn't really sleep that night. The night after, you know, it's just, it's a high that you don't really want to come off of. And then once you come down of it, you, you realize your world title, your world champion, you know, they give me all these awards and they accolade me and stuff like that. But guess what? The the hardest thing is keeping the title. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hardest thing in the world. The hardest thing is keeping the title. Yeah, remember, everybody is thinking the same way that I thought. He got that title, I said, Oh yeah, I wanna fight him. Yeah. Everybody thinking the same thing. Oh, I wanna fight him because I know I can beat him. And they gonna try harder to to beat me 
than they try any other time in their life. Yeah. Target. So that means that means as a world champion, yeah, that means as a world champion, guess what? You got to train even harder. Yeah, for sure. Like we say, target on your back when you become a world champion. Sean Bay, did your life change oh, at all? Did you? I, I've never asked anyone this before. I've spoke to many world champions, but did you? Um, all right. Did you purchase? Did you purchase any crazy things when you first become champ? No, I, actually, I didn't. Um, I lived in a townhouse. Um, I ended up purchasing my my um, single family home. I stayed there, you know, and you know, I. I didn't do anything really crazy or wild or get any cars or anything like that. I had a motorcycle or two or something like that. That was about it. <laughs> that, that's all. Fair enough. You know? Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't, I, I love clothes, so I always like to look good. Other than that, no. <laughs> <laughs> and four months later, four months later, you, you, you made your first defense of the title. You, you boxed back in D.C. against Pedro Saiz. You win the fight unanimously yeah. over 12. Uh, just run us through that one as well, Sean Bay. He wouldn't go anywhere. Um, Pedro Saiz is one of those journeymen that, you know, going to stick around. And he and he's always in the gym, always sparring with a lot of pros and stuff like that. He's a journeyman. He stayed in, you know, he stayed in there. Um, you know, it was a good fight to, you know, slip – I slipped a lot. Um, he missed a lot. You know, I did. I, I worked on a lot of things. I, I, I like to know that I could go those 12 rounds if I have to. If you get a knockout, you get a knockout. And your second defense came just two months later. A quick turnaround. April 1999 against Reggie Green. Again, back in D.C. Yeah. Um, this one ended with a majority decision. Um over 12. Tell us about that one, Sean Bay. Yeah. So, Reggie Green fight, man. You know, um, I never like to fight guys from where I'm from. I, because I always feel, I feel like that I want to, you know, I want all of us here in D.C. and Maryland to be able to get title shots, you know, get a shot at the title. It was just unfortunate that we were in the same weight class. So, I gave him a shot at the title but one thing about me i don't care if you from here i don't i don't care where you from if you gonna fight me in my town in, in my city you're not beating me at home and that was always my motto my motto is i don't care where you're from you can be from my home but guess what you're not beating me in my home because dc was my town so I, I would never ever lose in, 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 in DC. Ever. Not in my own hometown. But I, I you know, um Reggie Green, I, I wanted to give him a shot as a title, you know. He I, I I thought that he worked really hard to, you know, get to that point also to get a shot at a title. But I was just one of the ones that, you know, had the belts. So I said, you know, I wanna give him a shot at the title, Don and, and I gave him a shot at the title. And I and I was the first person to fight and be the main event in the the um the stadium for the 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 Washington Wizards, the first one. That's cool, history making. Yeah. Um. Do you know what? I yeah, it's just like it's just like the Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Leonard was one of the first guys to fight in the Capitol Center. Hmm. 
Yeah. Do you know, I didn't say it a few minutes ago, but your Don King impression is one of the best I've ever heard, man. That was really good. <laughs> Don, Don is a... Don is... Look, you know, a lot of people always say Don's a thief and Don... You know, Don, Don is is a hustler. Don is a businessman. Um, I've never ever took anything away from Don. Don is is a street guy who who's done good with his money and became one of the greatest promoters. Right? Um, his contracts was never complicated like people like to say. I always say that you know you get your you got people that can read these contracts. My lawyers. Jeffrey, you no, know, they can read my, my contract. They knew what I wanted and what I so when it was time for me to get away from Don, it wasn't no harsh breakup or anything like that. Me and Don can still talk right now. I just got away. Hmm. He I, I didn't I didn't allow him to buy me any cars or any any houses or anything like that. So guess what? I didn't owe him any money. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what these guys do. These guys, you know, they get Don said, or let me buy a car. Guess what? That car going to come out of your check sometime. Believe me. You know, so these are things that people give and they, they don't, if you don't tell the whole story, I'd rather you tell the whole story and then let people judge you from there. Yeah, we had Lehman Brewster on a couple of weeks ago and uh, he had some interest in Don King stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, <laughs> I, could, I could believe it. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, moving on. Um, seven months after that, that that Reggie Green fight, you make your third defense of the title um, against Elio Ortiz. Again, you, you you win on points unanimously over twelve, and it was it was a part of a, a huge event, of course, the the Lewis Holyfield two undercard. Um, just tell us about that that one there as well, Shambi. Oh man. I, it... And I I remember, man, that that guy he could he was he was just tough. Period. I think he was tough because it ended up I ended up cutting, getting my eye cut. We hit we headbutted, and um my eye ended up getting cut. And um I think I was I was fighting uh, I think I was fighting about six or seven rounds with seeing out of one eye, Damn. because it was so much blood coming in I couldn't really. I couldn't really see. The guy could hit hard as hell, though. And I think I was just that slick. I was slick enough to be able to maneuver around and, and, and get the decision. But um, I never was in any jeopardy or anything like that. Nah. Yeah. But no, like I say, on a on a huge event, again, the uh, you know big heavyweight show down there, a massive card. Right. Um, your fourth defense came 10 months after this September 16th 2000 at the MGM ground in Las Vegas you boxed Felix Flores uh, you were put down in round 4 however you got back up <laughs> you managed to pull yeah. off yet another unanimous decision tell us <laughs> I, you know what I really I, I, to, to this day right now I have not seen that fight and I don't watch any I, I watch I really watch any of my fights but I really wanted to see that fight because I don't even remember. I remember getting hit, but I don't remember what I got hit with. All I did was go down, and I got right back up. I went down. I got back up. I got back up. And um, it's funny because Floyd was at the – he came right to my dress. He said, Sean Bay, man, 
I thought when you got knocked down, you was done. But he said, you did some stuff that I thought I was the only one that could do. Man, you start pulling the shoulder around, man. You start slipping. And he said, man, that's the stuff I told the the way that Floyd fights now, you know, with the shoulder up and stuff like that. I I was doing that stuff then. But he said, man, you got knocked down. He said, something else came out of you, and you just started slipping stuff and, and tapping them around. He said, that was incredible. <laughs> that Yeah, it was a good win, you know, because Felix Flores... You know, as we said, he you know he was a he, he was he's a decent fighter, but I don't know his career never kind of. I think he had more potential than what he ended up, you know, getting out of boxing. Really, guys like him, and okay. a few of the guys yeah. that you defended against as well. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, that's funny, but I still to this day don't I don't remember what he hit me if he put me down, but it was like a flash knockdown. I just got knocked down. I got back up. And I took care of business. <laughs> yeah, he, I think, I remember, it was a, he hit you, I'm not sure what punch he put you down with. I think he kind of, he hit you in the body at some point, but I think it was after the main shot had landed. I think it was a left uppercut that, that stunned you. Okay. But yeah. Okay. But I know I went down, I got right back up, and I was fine after that. Like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't nothing. Five months later, you land that unification fight, putting your WBA world title on the line against the then WBC world champion, the the, the fantastic Costa Zoo. Um, during the fight, right. you injure you injure your knee. Um, he had a point deducted for pushing. The fight ended with you retiring on your stool at the end of the seventh round. It was a great fight while it lasted, Shambe. Uh, I thought, yeah. That I'm a, I'm a massive fan of footwork. I thought your footwork that night was sensational, even with the knee. But, um, yeah, tell us about the night it, it all kind of went wrong for you, though. Well, um... By the way, you caught him with an excellent got... shot in round four. A peach of a shot in round four. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, when I got, when, when I got to Vegas, um, I'm jogging. And I'm jogging, and all of a sudden... I'm getting this numbness in my whole entire leg. Like, why is it numbness? So I'm telling my, my trainer, Marvin, I'm like, Rock, man, I'm getting this numbness in my leg like every 10 to 15 minutes. I'm jogging a little bit, and I'm getting this numbness. So I end up going to doctors. Doctor was like, I'm, let me take some, you know, x-rays and stuff like that. So <laughs> I literally, I literally fought with um, my ACL, partial tear, my meniscus, um, um, PCL, and something else in my left knee. I end up having to get, because right in 1987, I think it was, right before, I was ready to fight a world title fight, and I ended up having to postpone it because I ended up tearing my whole entire knee out so it ended up acting up again and the doctor was like how did you even fight like how did you even go in there and do anything and I was so pumped for this fight and I was I was so ready to fight this fight that I I didn't I wasn't gonna let anything hold me back and I went in there and did the best I could do he started kind of 
pushing me around a little bit and because he knew that it was something going on with my knee. And after, like, at that seventh round, I go back, and I'm like, man, I can't feel, like, absolutely nothing. I couldn't even get up. I couldn't even get up off the off the stool, and, it, and they had to call it. And it, if, I, if I think about it now, I, I, nah, I probably would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I probably would have done the same thing, got in there for it. I probably wouldn't have postponed it or anything like that. I'm just that that kind of fighter, you know. I I just don't think anybody could beat me, and you know, I I went in there and did what I could do. I, I think if I would have sat down on my punches more and not did a lot of movement, but that's my style. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it was a it was a great fight anyway. I mean, your movement was excellent. He did start kind of rough, you know, roughing you up a little bit. Um, towards the end, and um, yeah, like I said, that shot you caught him within the fourth. I never understand how he took that. I mean, wow. Um, yeah, you were kept out of the ring for over a year after that before returning with two 10 round unanimous decision wins the first against Bernard Harris right. and the second against um, Frank Houtelin before boxing right. the former IBF super lightweight world champion Vince Phillips. Now, on paper, it was, it was an interesting fight because obviously Phillips had knocked Costa Zoo out and took his O. You lost mm-hmm. to Costa Zoo. Yep. Uh, you also knocked out yep. Millet, but um, Phillips lost to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, right. it's just that same old saying, styles make fights. But anyways, you were, you were successful right. here again uh, in Oklahoma. Um, Saturday, November the 9th, 2002, majority decision over 10 rounds. Tell us about that one. Good win again. Yeah, Vince Phillips, man. Um <laughs> Very interesting fight. Um, very good fight. Um, I think at the time he was under Ray Leonard, and um, yeah, I think he was under Ray then because I I, I had bet Ray uh, a golf golf game <laughs> if I beat Vince, because <laughs> so, me and Ray are really cool. So I had bet Ray a uh, you know a golf game, but um, Vince was one of those hard. Fighters and veterans, you know, to to fight, he was, and um, you know, uh, I, I I watched that fight once. I watched I watched that fight once on TV, and um, you know, he was one of those guys that you you had to be real careful with because he could punch, and he was you know one of those really skillful veterans. He was a real vet, <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah, but, um, I always thought that, like I said, I could, all like I said, I, I tell you with me, I, I'm not going to duck anyone. I, I don't care who you knocked out. I don't care who you beat and all that stuff. You got to fight me. It's me in there. So I'm a total different person of all those people that you, you know, you fought. Yeah. Cause you and Vince were were both world champions at the same time. Obviously, it could have been a unification right. at one stage, but when you ended up fighting, Correct. obviously, you know, at that point, no one held a belt bet- between the pair of you. Was it? No. Or can it be? It was an IBF. It was an IBF um, eliminator. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. it can it be harder to kind of be motivated for a fight when you know it could have been bigger in bigger in the past, or or, or did that not really come into it? No. No, 
you don't really think about that. You think about what's going on at that moment. Because at that time, I was positioning myself for another belt. Yeah. So I knew I had to take take care of business to get to this other accomplishment that I was trying to accomplish. You know, I, I was trying to become a two-time world champion, not just a champion. <laughs> And your next fight was on Showtime. You stopped uh, Carlos Vilches in four. Uh, four months later, you, yeah, you, with, you boxed. With the beautiful uppercut. Beautiful uppercut. Four months later, you boxed yeah, Ben Tacky. The, go on, go on. So the uppercut, that's funny because I, I, I sent that to, um, I sent that same uppercut to, um, to um, my, my man, uh, um, Davis, because he, I said, this is the same uppercut you just hit, you just hit your boy with, and knocked him out. So <laughs> I said, but I said, look how I threw it. I said, you, you threw it kind of sort of the same way. <laughs> yeah, man, it was brutal. It was it was brutal that knockout. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you you, you stopped Vilches in, in in four rounds. Four months later, you boxed Ben Tacky. Uh-huh. You beat him unanimously over twelve. Then we move into the year two thousand and four. Uh, we're now in February. You boxed Love More and Do. Well, the Ben Tacky. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, the Ben Tacky. Too fast. The Ben Tacky fight. Yeah, the Ben Tacky fight. Man, you, you know everybody was kind of scared to fight Ben Tacky. Ben Tacky was one of those hard Africans that could fight like nobody could do anything. And I was the first one to knock him down. Yeah, I was the only one to knock him down. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. He was he he could take some punches, man. Whew. <laughs> there's a lot of fighters like that, man. There's there's a lot of these African fighters, man. They got they're so tough. It's just it just runs in the blood, man. A lot of these guys. Yeah, yeah. And and he was one of those ones that he could catch you. If he caught you, he he, he can get you. But yeah, he, he was the tough one. Yeah. And talking of tough Africans, like like I said, there, love more and do in the next fight for the interim IBF <laughs> light welterweight world title. The fight takes place in Atlantic City. Um, again, you're able yeah. to win a unanimous decision. But yeah, tell us about that. Like I say, he was tough as hell, man. Yeah, but the the weird thing about that fight there. So two weeks before the fight, my grandmother dies. So um in training camp my grandmother dies and then this is just two weeks just, later, I just, got this just fight. to jump in Sean Bay. this is the grandmother that you said I'm now I'm now world class at something No 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 not that one the other my mother's my my father's my father's mother okay. my father's my father's mother ended up dying and uh, it it was one of those, like, I'm away in, in training camp. I'm in Florida, and and I'm having to take care of a lot of stuff for her while I'm in Florida. So I have my people in, at home taking care of stuff for her. So as soon as I get, you know, finish the fight, I got a funeral to go to. You know, so it was... It was one of those fights I was in. I was there, but I wasn't there. I think I got to. The, I think I got to the corner, and I t- and I. I think I said to Buddy McGirt or one of them. I was like, 
what round is it? Like, is this fight over yet? Like, is it over? I I just I just wanted to get out of the fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know, th- things like this have obviously happened, and it can it can make you make you or break you in in many ways. Uh, Sean Bay. And, yeah, you know, you can be physically mm-hmm. in the ring, but your brain, you're you're mentally somewhere else, you know. Right. And, and then know. to win, and then to win one of the titles that I always wanted of IBF, like I always wanted that title, you know, and to win that, it, it was just weird. So, yeah. And in your next fight, that's when you you get on a plane and come to the UK in, in my backyard. You, yeah, you Manchester. Oh my gracious, I had a ball there. Yeah, tell us about <laughs> that. You boxed Michael Stewart. You knocked him down, I think, three three or four times in the fight. Um, yeah, just right. tell us about the experience of coming to the UK and fighting here. Manchester, big oh, fight man. city, man. Big fight city. Yeah, I, I, listen to me, man. I would love to go to Manchester any time. I loved it. Absolutely loved it, man. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing like Paris. Like, absolutely nothing. Yeah. The food was good. You know, I mean, where I stayed at was really nice. I had a ball there, man. I had a ball. Um, it was one of those fights where they brought me over to see if they wanted me to fight Ricky Hatton. I blast out um, my opponent. And then all of a sudden now they don't know if they want me to fight Ricky Hatton. <laughs> Ricky, they, they don't want Ricky Hatton to really put up with that smoke. So, <laughs> so that's what that all was all about. I thought so. I was gonna say it seems strange looking back now to come to <laughs> Manchester on a on a Hatton card, and um, right, yeah, yeah. That's what that was all about to see how I would look. To see, you know, if I am, I, am I getting old? Am I what was going on? I'm, I'm thirty something, you know, with Charmbay, that type thing. Okay. And Ricky Hatton wouldn't have. I, I would have blasted him out. Okay. Okay. That's an interesting fight, man. I wish we got to see that. <laughs> yeah, I wish we got to see it too. <laughs> 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 Four months after that is when you boxed uh, Moises Pedraza, uh, Pedroza, I should say. And after that is when you then mm-hmm. got that rematch with Costa Zou, uh for the IBF light welterweight world title. Yeah, after after um, sitting and waiting four more years, and then a, a whole another year, so it's five years to to redo that title. It's funny. Um, when I fought him the first time, my my um, trainer, my personal trainer, uh, Mackie Shieldstone, um, he was telling me, he said, man, you got to get out of the 140 weight class because you're losing like three to four pounds of muscle just to get down to 140 pounds. So, you know, that was when I fought, I first fought, <laughs> when I first fought um, Kostizu. So, we get ready to fight again, and then Kostadu tears his Achilles. It got pushed back again. Then we get ready to go to what? What I think we we're gonna fight in Russia. We we're gonna fight in Russia. Then something happened with Russia, and got pushed back again. Then we end up going to Arizona. Um, I, when I tell you, I barely. When I say I barely made that weight. 
it was barely. If if I would have had to get if if I wouldn't have made that weight, then I would I probably wouldn't have fought because I I had no more to lose. I had no more weight to lose. Um, the weird part is that I was in the back of my dressing room, and I'm warming up, and I'm trying to sweat, and I couldn't even sweat. I had to put a sweatsuit on. I put a sweatsuit on and shadow box, shadow box, try to hit the pass, try to hit the pass, couldn't even sweat. I get in the ring, and then they want to sing the national anthem. Oh, it pissed me off even more. So me going into that, going into that, going into that fight, my my, my daughter probably could have fought me that night and knocked me down. That's how, that's how weak I was. No no bull. Like I, I didn't I didn't I had nothing. When I say nothing, nothing. Like I I wasn't sweating. I didn't have a drop of sweat on me. I couldn't. I had lost so much weight, and that's why. Who was my promoter at the time? Oh, Gary Shaw. Gary Shaw was my man because I had, we had a handshake. We always did what we said we were going to do. So Gary Shaw. Gary Shaw was saying, you know, um, would you would you fight Ricky? Hatt? I'm like, man, look, I'm not fighting it. It'll be at 147. It won't be at 140. Or I was going to retire. So for me, I was going to retire actually right after Vince Phillips' fight. I was going to retire because it just seemed like the Costas fight wasn't going to happen. And I didn't, I wasn't feeling the 140 thing anymore. And I was just drained out of my mind from 140. So when that fight happened, it was almost like, you know, it was almost like I had to do it kind of fight. (laughs) Yeah, and like I say, um, it was repeat rather than uh, revenge for yourself obviously you were down four times in total and and stopped in the third um moving on yeah moving on you know m- m- moving on after that you come back with a win over chris smith a technical decision after five um this then brings us up to november 2005 you get that opportunity in right. oregon to box floyd mayweather um, as you say, not <laughs> not not right to have had the fight stopped in round six. But just tell us about that fight. Obviously, Floyd, one of the best, um, in my opinion, but certainly it, of that era. It's a story to that. Tell it's me. a story to that. That's what we're here that, for, baby. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny. So I fight in DC on the Mike Tyson card. Mike Tyson comes to DC and fights, and I'm on that card. I win the. Um, the um in NABA. the NBA yeah NABA um welterweight title right so I win the NABA welterweight title and boom I go we sign the fight Zab Judah we sign the fight Zab Judah I'm in training camp to fight Zab Judah in training camp for two three weeks at the time boom I get a call Zab pulls out huh so. I'm sitting at my house in Florida for about a week, and they say, well, what you want to do? You want to go home or you want to stay here? So I say, I want to stay here for a while. So I get another call. My cousin calls me and say, look, man, me and um, Jay Prince talk, man. You want to fight Floyd? Floyd Floyd said he'll fight you. I said, why would I fight Floyd? You know? And they said, well, why not? 
They said, you and Floyd sound the same way. What What is with this? I said, I said that's my man. You know, we I nothing with Floyd. What I need fighting for? Well, if you win, it, he said, so it was like, it's business. Business is business, man. Take care of business and, you know, friends, y'all friends at the end of the day. So that's why the, that's how that fight went on. It wasn't even supposed to go off. I, I was in training camp. I was in training camp to fight Zab. I didn't listen to me, man. I didn't want to fight anybody. When we had signed that fight to fight Zab, listen, I was ready. I was ready to rock and roll. I almost felt like I was getting ready to fight for the world title all over again for the first time. And tell us about the the fight itself. Obviously, getting in there with Floyd. Well. I mean, for me, it was just it was a regular fight. You know, it it was a, a a good fight because he was the up and coming star at the time, and I was the I was the wily veteran with the the great record also. That you know that had the great style that you know could probably trip him up. And to this day, and you see ESPN Floyd say, you know, that, that was one of the hardest fights he had. Like I always tell people, Floyd places his punches very well. Not he, it, the, the punches are not hard. He just places his punches very well. Yeah, great punch picker. And and yeah, and and when you come up in a famine, I mean, that, when you come out your mom's belly and. You put on boxing gloves. I mean, you know what I'm saying. What what else can you do? You know what I'm saying. So, um, I I I take my hat off to him, and I and I, I love what he what he what he done with the you know the sport and what he's accomplished. You know, because he did all of the things that his father, his uncle, and all of them wanted to do, and he he became that. He just picked up where they left off at. That's all. And went with it. Sean Bay, was he the best fighter you ever boxed, do you think? Nah. No. No. Okay. No. All right. No, I'm going to pause no. it there and I'm going to ask you who the best fighter that you ever boxed is uh, in, in a couple of minutes. Um, after the Floyd fight, you return to the ring six months later. You pick up a win over Jose Luis Cruz on points in California. Three months later, that's when mm-hmm. you uh, you appeared for the final time in a boxing ring. August 19th, 2006. A KO loss in four to Paul Williams in Reno. Um, not the way I think you'd have wanted your career to end, of course, but just tell us about the fight regardless. Paul Williams was, was a great fighter and absolutely huge yeah. next to you. A- absolutely. How and, tall is he, Sean? Um, I hear he's about six foot three in real life. <laughs> yeah, he's really, no, he's really tall. Yeah. I, I mean, he's re- like, I had to jump up to, to <laughs> hit him. And I'm, and to be honest with you, I could have kind of sort of just stayed planted and kind of bullied him. But I'm a boxer, and, you know, I do what I do. But um, it's funny because after the Floyd fight, I really was going to just retire. And they kept asking me to, to fight these fights. And it's like, you know, they know that I'm not going to turn anybody down if they want to fight. So, you know, that's why I did it. But then after after the Paul Williams fight, it was I was just done. I, I, I knew I was done. I, I I wasn't into the I wasn't into the game anymore. Um, I I wanted to get out 
completely. I, I didn't need it anymore. It's better to come out where you can understand me <laughs> instead of instead of not being able to understand me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is the truest thing that anyone can say about retiring from boxing. So you did retire. The record ended up 57 wins, um, 30 by KO, and six losses. Um, Sean Bay, I want to ask you this now, um, a couple of quick-fire kind of questions. Um, we saved it till last there. Who was the best fighter then that you ever boxed if it wasn't Floyd? Wow. Um, I'm pr- it was a fight that I fought in Atlantic City. I fought a fight in Atlantic City. I can't remember this guy's name, but it was one of the toughest fights that I ever had. And it was early in my career, like really early. I might have been probably 18 and 0 or 20 and 0 or something like that. I think I might have been, but I can't remember his name though. But it was a Spanish guy. Hmm. Well, and you feel like he was better than all the big names you fought? Yeah. It's weird. I, I, I fought a lot of big names, but this one guy, I'm telling you, it gave me the, the most trouble. <laughs> it gave me the most trouble. I felt, put it like this, it gave me the most trouble where I felt like after 10 rounds of boxing, I thought that I was like, I don't know if I won or not. <laughs> like that's how tough it was. So what you beat him on points over ten? Yeah, I beat him on points. You know, maybe I don't know if it was just I wasn't there, but he was a tough little kid. Yeah, tough guy. I'm trying to look. I can't really find anyone um, with a Spanish sounding name that you beat on over ten. Yeah, but uh, we'll have to. So, yep. we'll revisit that. Um, I want to ask you also, also Sean Bay, what was your most satisfying win throughout all the wins in your career, all 57? Probably, probably my championship fight, my first one, because I just, after I saw the fight with him and Frankie Ryan, I just knew I could do it. I, I knew I could. I was like, man, he got the, like, are you serious? I, and I have, I begged, I, 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 I almost begged Don to give me that fight. And I think that was probably the most satisfying fine win. No, I, I think so as well. The first night you became champion. Yeah. Obviously, you'll never forget. Yeah. Who do you feel was the hardest puncher that you was ever in the ring with? Uh, Rocky Lockridge. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> he could hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Line <about> that one. <laughs> and, and I want to ask you this. I like to ask this one. Um was there anyone that you wished you'd have had the chance to fight but never got the chance to fight? I'm going to throw Ricky Hatton's name in there. Is it him? Is it someone else? Zab. Zab, yeah. yeah. That's, the only, that's the only fight that was there. But the, the reason why is because we just had, he and I was, was the show people, the two the two southpaws, the two slick southpaws at the time. He had his his way, I had my way, and it was a New York DC kind of a thing. And everybody wanted to see that fight, so we could have made plenty of money, and we could have did 
you know, it, it could have been a spectacular fight. And, you know, he didn't if at the time I think if if um if Zab was a little bit more um what I wanna say, business like like he is now, then he probably could see it. We wasn't enemies or anything like that. You know, I always anything I said about him or anything like that was always in the, the name of, you know, we're trying to promote this. We have to promote. It was like an Ali. You know, Ali ain't going to hate you, but he going to make you want to fight him. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand and that. and he's he just trying to promote, and it's all about business, right? Yeah, nothing so, personal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nothing personal, anything like that. You know, it, it was just all about business, and we could have... That fight there, it, it could have been amazing, but we... It, just missed the mode on it. Yeah. And this next question, my favorite answer is when people say no. And the question is, um, do you have any regrets in your boxing career? If you could go back and change anything, you said that you were looking at perhaps retiring after the Floyd fight. You were looking at retiring after the Vince Phillips win. Would you go back and change anything? Have you got any regrets? Um... Probably not. I, probably my, my regrets probably more so. Probably more so in my amateur careers. Probably as good as I was um, as an amateur, I probably didn't. Well, in boxing period, let me let me let me start with boxing period. Um, I probably as a kid, like I tell kids nowadays, put a hundred and twenty-five or one hundred and fifty percent into boxing if you're gonna do it. If that's what you want to do, because I never did. I never put all. I, God gave me a gift, and I used it to the best of my ability. I I cut corners, a lot of corners, um, with, um, you know, what I did, and I still accomplished a lot of things that people would love to accomplish or try to accomplish. Um. But if if I probably, if I could do it over again, I probably would put all my time, mind, buy everything in it because I probably could have been way better. My my problem is that I knew how to do too many other things. I was I, I was in college, you know. I, I was one person that one, you know. I was more in tune with school and business stuff, and you know, I know how to do carpentry work. Um, I do electronical work. You know, I, it's so many other things I can do other than just boxing. I never was just really focused on boxing. And I always tried to do the thing of, you know, if this doesn't work for me, then what do I have to fall back on? And I probably worked on that more so than what I was doing. So if I could change anything, I probably would put everything into it. You know, and 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 it maybe it turned out different. Maybe it may not have. Oh, that's really interesting, man. That's really interesting. That's quite amazing uh, that you can do all these other things. But I, I but I, not yeah, a lot of people I tell, can. I tell, yeah, I tell kids every day. You know, if, if this is the if if you want to do anything, if if you want to do any kind of sport, anything like that, you know. Put your all into it. 
don't halfway do it. You know, don't let the females get in your way. Don't they, they're going to be there after. Trust me. <laughs> you know, don't let the drugs get out there. Don't let the streets get in. You know, they're going to be there after. Yeah. You know, um, you know, pick and choose your real friends. You know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, that that's all I probably regret. And I I, I say it all the time. You know, I, I say it all the time. If if I put my all in, all into it, I I I don't I don't know what I probably would have could have done. Hmm. No, I mean you achieve great things anyway, Sean. But it's frightening to think what would have happened if you'd have put everything into it actually. But um, no. You, you said after the Paul Williams fight, you were done. You were absolutely done. Did you ever think about coming back, though, after that at all, or were you just completely retired? No. It's funny. Um, I, I got an offer with Ricky Hatton. Like, they offered us something with Ricky Hatton to come over to and fight. And for a lot of money, I, man, I'm not doing none of that. I'm not going back. I, listen, I, I didn't. When I was ready to retire, I was ready. I was done. I was done way before that. So I was really done. Hmm. I was totally, totally done. I didn't want to see any more training camps. I didn't want I don't want to eat right anymore. I don't want to do any I don't want to get up early anymore. I don't want to do any of that <laughs> anymore. So it's weird. Like now now I do uh boxing fitness stuff. So um um I do training classes and stuff like that. And I stayed in shape, but I eat everything. I can eat anything I want, but guess what? I'm working on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. So I can eat anything I want, and I love it. <laughs> Good for you, my man. Good for you. I love it, and I'm still in shape. And it's funny because my, my wife always tells me, Sean, babe, my man told me the other day, he was like, Sean, baby, you know, if you ate right, you'll be cut up because you already cut up and you're not even eating right. I said, yeah, I know, but I don't want to be <laughs> cut up. I'm 50 years old, man. Look, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I look fine for 50. <laughs> you do. You do. You certainly do. Sean, baby, I was going to ask you what you're up to now. You mentioned there that you, you know, you, you, you do fitness training. Uh, you, you speak to kids a lot. Um, what else are you up to? Are you, have you got a lounge? I'm in the, I'm in the, nah, yeah. Well, my wife and I, um, we own the lounge since 1999. Um, and we still have it in Baltimore. Um, cause she's from Baltimore. So I'm out here to Baltimore and I'm in the car business. I, I did. I was in the car business when I was in college, so I did an internship at a car dealership. So I wanted to get back into the business, and I got back into it. I'm great to get out of it though. But yeah, I'm in the car business. I was. I did everything in the car business, from sales to finance to being a used car manager, all that stuff. So I went back to sales because it gives me the flexibility to do what I want. It sounds like you're doing well, and you you know it's keeping you busy, which is good, Sean Bay, especially post boxing. Um, I want to ask you. This. Oh yeah, gotta keep up with my crazy kids. My kids are they all in college, and 
Some of them graduated, some of them graduating now, and you know, so it's it's absolutely great, man. Fantastic, and that leads me in perfectly to the to the next question, and it's an important question, Sean Bay. Um, are you a happy man now? Are you happy? You say you're 50 years of age, you got everything going, lots of busy stuff. Are you happy these days? Oh, absolutely, man. It, it you know it's it's a blessing just to to like I sit back sometimes and I just think, man, you know. I accomplished a whole lot. Like I've accomplished a whole lot in life, and it's weird. Like I, I leave a when I when I die, I'm I'm leaving a legacy. Like I'll be ever in the history books, you know. <laughs> I'll be always in the history books. Yeah. So you know, it's it's a it's a blessing. Not a lot of people could say that. Definitely, definitely, man. But I'm I'm pleased to hear that you. That you're happy. That is that's the most important thing in life, being happy, Sean Bay, of course. And um it's great that you Absolutely. Happy. And to be able to see fifty, you know. I'm able to see fifty man and, and it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, we're helping check and I, I still get in there and spar sometimes, stuff like that. <laughs> so, you know. Okay. And it's weird because guys be like, Man, you you ain't lost nothing. <laughs> But I tell him, I say, man, once I get into that rhythm, it's hard to get me out. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I start beating these little kids up. It's like, man, <laughs> maybe I should come back. <laughs> like, maybe I should come back and grab some of these millions that they're giving away now. <laughs> oh, but Sean Bay, my final real question for you now. I like to ask this one to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Any era, who do you think would would be your favorite UK fighter? Any era. Any era? My UK fighter. I've got a feeling Uh, you're not going to say Ricky Hatton. No, I thought, no, no, no. Ricky was really good. Ricky was really, really good. Um, He would, I probably, wasn't wasn't Eubanks um, one of the one of the European fighters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Eubank, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, Chris Eubanks was really good, but Ricky Hatton was. I probably had to say, hmm, man. Now I think about it, I don't know. Well, Ricky Hatton would probably be up there with me because he was one of those fast fighters, like fast and always in shaping. You know. Well, put punches together fights, good and stuff like he that. He wasn't always in shape between fights, yeah. but <laughs> well, you're absolutely correct. And I heard about, I've heard that, but who? Di- I was a fat boy. Listen, man, I would go. My trainer, I always used to say, and Buddy used to be like, "Man, what the hell? Why you never can't come in training camp in shape?" I would literally get up to 170, 175, and get all the way back down to 140 pounds. Damn. But but the key with me was is that I didn't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do any of that stuff. It was just pizzas and burgers and you know fried fried, fried some of the fried fried stuff. Yeah. But other than that, like even right now, I'm still I can jump on the scale. I'm at 179, 180. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. But no, you boxed on some on on some cards with some of our best fighters ever. Really, obviously, you you boxed on a Ricky Hatton card in Manchester. You boxed on right. the same card mm-hmm. as Nigel Benn. 
um, mm-hmm. books on the same card as Lennox Lewis, like we say. So uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lennox, Lennox, Lennox was, Lennox was good. Lennox was good. Um, I, I think just in that that era of the heavyweights that he came with, um, they just bounced around to like nobody was a clear champion other than Mike. Mike was the real top dog probably in that era. And then when he ended up fighting those guys, Mike was on his way out. They would they it's no they would in in his in his heyday, they would have never be they never ever came close. He would have knocked Lennox out. Okay. Okay. So favorite UK fight. It's just like it's just like it's just like it's just like I tell people um, I think my wife and I was talking last night, and she and then she. I say eras. I say, okay, so me coming up in Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, I said they would kick my ass. <laughs> That's honest. They would have kicked my ass, and and that's the honest truth. They would have kicked my ass in that era. That that era was a beast. Yeah. In that weight class, can you imagine? Man, we we would have been battling each other, like for real, battling each other. And that's why I tell her, I say, Floyd came up in a great era, in the era with me, um, uh, Kazu, um, all of all those in that era when we Vince Phillips, all of us together. Guess what? If 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 Floyd was in our weight at that time, nah, he wouldn't be undefeated right now. I don't think. What do you think? I don't know, man. He was good at selecting when to fight who. You know. My point exactly. See, selective. We wasn't selective guys. No. We we fought each like we picked out the best on out of each one of us, and we fought us. We fought each other. Correct. Yeah, definitely. We what we didn't pick and choose, am I right? No, not at all. That's what I mean. Yeah, and and that's why I tell people like he came up in a great era, like right after like he snuck in that he came up in a great era, and his era best out there. Now, if you you tell me he fights me in when I'm twenty something old or thirty something old or thirty something one or two. He don't win. Hmm. You're getting a whole different fight. Yeah. So it's the era, and and like I say, you know, if I'd have came in Ray Leonard's era, I would have been in there. But whew, would I have won or would I not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, cause Ray was the prettiest, angriest dude in the ring that I know. <laughs> But yeah, you know what I'm saying, and and Marvin was just a hard hitting, just a nice southpaw, you know, a great guy, like you know, and then you're talking about Roberto Duran, good gracious, so their era in that weight class was that, my era in my weight class in that 140 pound weight class, it was killer. We had all killers in that weight class. Nobody wanted to fight in that weight class, right? In my era. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the original question, though, Sean Bay, favorite UK fighter, Chris Eubank. Probably Chris Eubanks. Probably I, I always liked him. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. That's uh, a popular answer when I I always that. liked him. Yeah, a lot of people say. Yeah, I, I always liked him. Really slick. I I always liked him. Yeah. But Ricky Hatton was right up there with him too. Yeah. Yeah, another popular answer. Um, and just finally, Sean Bay, if you've got any closing words to, to anyone that's listening to this, anyone that ends up listening to this, um, you know, especially from the UK, obviously the fans over here, you, you witnessed it yourself when you went to Manchester. People over here really know yeah. boxing. What's your message to your supporters, Absolutely. your fans, this side of the, of the, of the Atlantic? Um, hey, I, I'm doing great. Um, we, I hope that boxing gets back to... Um, what it is i want to come to manchester you can bring me out there anytime i'll play soccer for you or something i don't know <laughs> but, but no I, I love you guys and um thank you for having me on the show man listen sean bay you it's know? been an absolute pleasure believe me it really has been going over your entire career has been a complete delight thank you so much for your time i wish you the absolute best for the future and hopefully we can speak again soon my man absolutely thank you sir Okay, and this wraps up episode 266 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBA Super Lightweight World Champion, Mr. Sean Bay Mitchell. A massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in to this week's podcast once again. Remember, if you can, to send in a trivia question for Eddie Chambers. We we need more, certainly. Um, it, can, it can be really easy ones. It doesn't really matter to be honest just send some in um, that will make my job a lot easier there has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show Karim Gwerfi versus uh, Lee McGregor for the European title that's been rescheduled that's going to now be taking place on January 22nd in Wakefield and in other news Lerone Richards has parted ways with Frank Warren he's now signed a promotional contract with Matram Sports I wish Lerone all the best with that because he hasn't really had it easy since uh, turning pro in terms of promotional stuff. He was inactive early on in his career for a couple of years due to promotional issues and now he's you know, he's, he's left Frank Warren, so hopefully things are bright for him in the future. Uh, but that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about the podcast, and we shall see you all again next week.